We left off with the church age in the last session. I gave you that outline of the church periods in Revelation. If you need those, I could give you those. And again, this will be online. The audio and the video will be online. Uh, But now we pick it up at the rapture and the great tribulation. So as we said early on in our big ideas about the Bible, that there are two main groups in the word of God, right? There is the nation of Israel. That's a physical entity. That is the wife of Jehovah, all right? That's Jehovah's bride. That's the father's bride. You read about that in Hosea. He talks about his nation as a bride. And you've got the New Testament church, the body of Christ, which is a spiritual organism, which is the bride of Christ. You read about that in Ephesians. Now, this is going to sound weird, but a lot of things I say sound weird. One way you know that the church cannot be Israel is in the Old Testament, a father and a son could not have the same bride. God forbade that, right? You couldn't go into the same woman, right? So the father's bride is Jehovah, right? The nation. The son's bride is the church, the spiritual organism. And they're not the same, right? They're not the same. That would be blasphemy. That would be contradicting God's own word to make them the same. In the book of Hosea, we read about, um, in the book of Hosea, we re- not about the tribulation, but the book of Hosea, we read about Israel being the bride of Jehovah, and the book of Ephesians, we have all those doctrines pertaining to the New Testament church as the bride of Christ. I'm just putting these under tribulation and rapture. They don't really have to do with tribulation and rapture, but the tribulation is mainly aimed towards Israel, going through a time of purging, and the rapture is for the church. So there's these two entities. And both groups were formulated, both groups were called out, both groups get established, both groups face a demise, and both groups ultimately are destroyed in some way. I mean, the church doesn't perish, but it falls into apostasy. Um, For the nation, the nation is carried out um, into captivity. We did this last time, I think. Uh, Assyria takes the northern tribes away in 721 B.C. You read about that in 2 Kings. Uh, Sennacherib does that. And Babylon carries the southern tribes away and burns the temple and the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Historians say 606 B.C. I mean, those dates are probably wrong, but just to give you a, a sense of where you are. So the nation faces captivity. So the nation goes into captivity That's their demise and ultimately their destruction. And the church goes into apostasy. Unfortunately, the church does not end well. (laughs) Every dispensation ends with a failure and a collapse, and the church age is no different. It doesn't end well. We don't end gloriously. There isn't a great moving of God and outpouring of the Spirit and all that stuff that Joel Osteen wants to tell you, right? It ain't happening, right? It's just not happening. You know, you're not going to see those big revivals of old. Those are gone. Right? You can happen, a revival happen in your life, but the Finneys of old that walked into a town and preached so hard, the bars closed down, the Sam Joneses and those guys, unfortunately, we're probably past that time. Uh, we're too far gone, but there could be individual revival, there could be revival in churches, but I don't think you're seeing like, because we see the church ends in apostasy. Uh, in Revelation 3.16, if you want to jump over there, um, Revelation 3.16 just shows you 
how the Laodicean church, that last period, ends in such apostasy that it makes Jesus Christ sick, right? So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. It makes Jesus Christ want to yak, all right? So, both groups are called out, both groups are established, both groups face demise, both groups are destroyed eventually, or perish, or fall apart, I should say. And both groups are waiting to meet the Lord after tribulation, okay? Let's look at Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Now, for the church, it's not great tribulation. It's personal tribulation. We touched on this on Thursday when we talked about the book of James. But Acts 4.21, I'm sorry, Acts 14.21, Acts 14.21, the Bible says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra, to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. So after the personal experience of tribulation, the rapture for the church. So you're going to go through things in this life called tribulation, and the Lord is going to take you home. I mean, the Lord's going to come deliver us eventually, hopefully in the next few minutes. He's coming. But um, that's what's going to happen, right? We go through as Christians personal tribulation as an experience. But if you go to Matthew chapter 24... Matthew 24, Matthew 24, verse 21, Jesus Christ is talking about a time period called the Great Tribulation, Matthew 24, 21, he says, for then, meaning a time period, shall be great tribulation. Great tribulation has 11 letters, by the way, the number of destruction. Great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no nor ever shall be. And except those days, time period, should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So for the church, we have, I guess we could say for the church, you might have the personal experience of tribulation, You might go through things, take your lumps. But for the nation, it's a prepared event. It's like something you could mark down on your calendar that that's supposed to be prepared event. I can't write at all. But prepared event. Um, There is this three and a half years that God has to come, right? So after this personal experience, you're going to see the rapture happen. And after this prepared event, you're going to see the revelation happen. Those are not the same. The rapture, not every eye sees him at the rapture. It's more of a secret appearance. Uh, the revelation, he comes and he touches down. And Revelation 1.7 says, and every eye shall behold him. Right? He cometh with clouds. Right? You're not missing him in this day. They're going to be calling for the rocks to fall on them because, and hide us from the face of him that's coming. The rapture is relative secret. He comes for his own. Now, The Lord allows tribulation into all of our lives for one purpose, to draw us closer to Him. I don't like it that way. I wish it weren't that way. You know, that's another reason why you know we didn't write the Bible, because men would have never done that. They would just make God come back after everybody's had 
popcorn and ice cream sundaes, but um, the Lord uses tribulation. When do you draw nigh to God? Usually when somebody's sick, when you're going through a trial, right? Those are the times that cause us to draw nigh. As Christians, don't you draw nigh when you're in trouble? Amen. Right? That's, that's just a fact. Well, go to Hosea chapter 5, verse 15. Hosea chapter 5, verse 15. That being said, Hosea chapter 5, verse 15. The Lord is going to allow Israel to go through three and a half years of great tribulation. Why? To draw them back to God. To cause them to repent. To cause them to come nigh again. Because they are estranged from Him. Hosea 5.15, the Lord says, I will go and return to my place. Remember that? Didn't Jesus talk about a place up there? I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face in their affliction. They will seek me early. And then chapter 6, here he comes. Come, here's Israel. Come and let us return unto the Lord. For he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath spitten and he will bind us up after two days. So there's a great picture of the tribulation Israel is going to go through. They're going to call on the Lord. Study that word distress. And you see how many times somebody's calling out to God in distress. It's a picture of the nation calling out to God in their distress. David talks about calling out in distress and the Lord taking him up and taking him out. So you study that word in their distress. They're going to call on the Lord. It's all through the book of Psalms. And that's when they're going to seek the Lord in that time of great tribulation. That's the next section, the rapture and the great tribulation. That's the next section, right? So here's the next section of the Bible. After that, the next section is going to be Oh, my goodness. I got a spell. Right? The millennial reign of Christ. The millennial reign of Christ. Let's go to Revelation 20. Revelation 20, verse 1. The millennial reign of Christ. This is really the climax of the Bible here. This is what everything's pointing to. Revelation 20, verse 1. I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more. Hallelujah. Till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So after the tribulation, the church returns with Jesus Christ for his 1,000-year reign on earth, right? It's the honeymoon. And uh, millennium, if you break the word down, mile means thousand, anum means years, the millennium, millennium anum, the 1,000-year reign of Christ. The devil had 1,000 years. Christ gets 1,000 years. Uh, and this is, this is the day of the Lord. Because one day is with the Lord is 1,000 years. So when you see the Bible talking about the day of the Lord, this is the day. This is the day of the Lord. This is that 1,000-year reign. 
and the bulk of your Bible looks forward to the coming king and his kingdom. This is really the climax of your Bible. Like, this is it, right? This is the pinnacle. It's hard to see what you're doing in heaven. It's foggy, and it's a lot of conjecture to see what goes on in eternity. But there's a lot in your Bible about what goes on in this thousand-year reign because this is the climax of the Bible when the sun comes back. First, I think this is in your notes, the millennium comes for the Lord to give Israel the land that's promised them. So the millennium's a big, big deal because it's going to finally give Israel that land grant that they've been promised. They've been waiting for that for a long time, right? They're finally going to get all that land that was promised them. Secondly, the millennium is the time for Christians to receive their reward. So for Israel, they're going to get the land. For you, you're going to get to reign. You're going to get your reward because the reward is to reign with Jesus Christ in this kingdom, right? That is the reward. That's the crown, right? A crown is something somebody wears who reigns. So it's not just something that you throw at his feet. Like, yes, you will cast that at his feet, but just because you know it's all because of him that you got it. But ultimately, the crown is given to you because you've earned the right to reign with him, to be that joint heir with Christ and inherit that kingdom promised me by my father before the foundation of the world. He wants you to reign with him. Wow. I can see you're excited about that, right? <laughs> I had to smack myself too. I was like, what are you saying? Uh, the question is, the reward is laid up for you in heaven. It's just, will there be any reward left by the time your life ends? It's all there now. It's the moment you got saved, God just kind of slid all that money into your account. It's whether or not you waste it. And the Bible says, don't lose those things which we have wrought, right? But that we receive a full reward. So that's the millennium. Now go to Revelation 19, verse 15. You understand it's hard for you to grasp this because you'll have perfect government, perfect peace, perfect righteousness, perfect weather, perfect everything, right? This will be the true golden age. This will be heaven on earth, right? Um, Lord willing, if the Lord doesn't come back this summer, the Make-A-Wish Foundation is sending us to Hawaii, right? So we get to go to Hawaii as a family. That's a blessing. We tell Christian, that's the least we can do for having gone through all the junk he went through. We get to go to Hawaii, you know? And somebody, I'm sure, has sat on the shores of Hawaii and said, ah, this is heaven on earth. No, it's not. <laughs> this will be heaven on earth, <laughs> right? And, uh, but believe it or not, not everyone's going to be happy with Jesus Christ's kingdom. Because Revelation 19.15 says, he's ruling with a rod of iron. And maybe you spank your kid with a switch or a little something, but it ain't a rod of iron. Jesus Christ reigns with a rod of iron. You get a swat from that thing, you're dead. Right? And he is going to be absolute rule. I mean, totalitarian government. But the leader will be benevolent. Not like the jerks we have now. Right? The people you got now are just monsters who want to throw you in their pens and just eliminate you. But uh, this one will be a benevolent leader. But uh, not everybody's going to be happy with it. Because there's going to be people born during the millennium with a sinful nature. They're not going to have the same nature you have. They're going to be born. They're going to die in the millennium. If you want to cross-reference, Isaiah chapter 65, I'm not going to flip over there, Isaiah 65 verses 19 to 20 talks about people being born in the millennium. It says, a kid that's 100 will be like an infant. It'll be like pre-flood days where people will live into seven, eight, hundred, nine hundred years, right? Methuselah was 969 years. 
So people are going to be living long lives. It's going to be like before the flood. But they're not going to have the same nature that you have. They're going to be born with a sinful nature. They're going to be born, they're going to live, and they're going to die. Some of them might even perish if they step out of line and that rod of iron smacks them. And in the millennium, they're going to have a choice whether to follow Jesus Christ or not. Because it's always a choice. Right, Mr. Calvin? It's always a choice. The whole Bible is choice. You got a choice in this dispensation to believe on Christ or not. You have a choice to endure until the end or follow the Antichrist in the tribulation. When you're in the millennium, you've got a choice to submit to the, to the great ruler, Jesus Christ, or to try to go against him. Choices have consequences, but you have a choice. They have a choice. They could follow Jesus Christ or not. Now go to Revelation chapter 20, look at verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So Jesus Christ there is defending Jerusalem. There it is. Right when the millennium ends, God just lets the devil loose again, and it doesn't take him long to rally people up, to appeal to that sinful nature, to get some people to circle the city, and then God kind of just takes him out. So everything God made has a choice. You have to understand that. And your choice has consequences. The millennium is no different. It's not some floating around Shangri-La. It's a real place. There's a real city. It says in the book of Zechariah that you could choose to go up to worship the king at the Feast of Tabernacles and get rain on your land that'll bring forth crops, or you can refuse and God will keep your land dry. That's going on in the millennium. So nations choose to whether they want to submit to the king or resist the king. It's happening in the millennium. Zechariah 14, I believe, talks about it. So God always gives us a choice. Next section. The great white throne. The great white throne judgment. Let's go to Revelation 20. Stay right there. Verse 9. So we see at the end of the millennium, fire comes down to consume everything. Let's read a little bit more about that fire. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll read a little more about that fire. 2 Peter 3. Do you see why I get so frustrated by Calvinism? Do you see why it strips my gears? Because it's like, you say, what verse have you got? I don't know, the whole Bible? I mean, from Genesis to Revelation, it's always been about choice. It's, a, it's so grossly audacious to say you have no free will. It just drives me crazy because it makes no sense with the whole Bible. It doesn't comport with the whole Bible. The whole Bible is choose, choose, choose. From Genesis 1, Revelation 22, it's always a choice. God says, I want the ones who want me. And there's different ways to respond to him in different dispensations. But ultimately, you're choosing God or not. And uh, to say God pre-programmed that is just nonsensical. Uh, Revelation chapter 20, uh, 2 Peter 3, verse 10. Here's that fire, right? But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which, so in that thousand years, right at the end, the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Whoa. Right? The carbon and the helium will actually dissolve. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be 
in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So nevertheless, we according to this, his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So this fire is going to consume the universe. It's going to just wrap the whole thing up. Um, go back to Revelation 20. That's at the end of the millennium. That fire comes down. That fire is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Revelation 20, verse 11, it says, Now after that, heaven and earth are now gone. Right? You got that? There's no Hawaii. There's no nebula out there. It's just, I don't understand it all. My brain can't process it. But it's just man finally face-to-face with God. God's going to take away everything that was an excuse and everything that got between you and God. And finally, man, his creation, will be face to face with the God and the creator he refused to submit to. Revelation 20, 11, it says, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. So heaven and earth are gone. Uh, 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, just hung up there in outer space or something. I don't know, but just amazing. them and God. It's just an amazing scene. People try to paint it, but I, I can't fathom it. And the books were opened. I think there's 66 of them. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, <clears throat> total separation from God. First death is your body separated, your soul separated from your body. The second death is your soul separated from God forever. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So at this judgment, all the lost will face the consequence of choosing to reject God. Scary scene. I mean, like Brian, it's a scary scene. It's a horrifying scene, a haunting scene. And it looks like, for your notes, and this is something that, again, you be wise and, you know, this is something I wouldn't die on this hill, but I see it. You might see it, too. It looks like there's five groups judged at this great right throne. We often say it's just the lost, but if we want to be precise with our Bible, there's really five groups judged. Number one, all the unsaved dead. That's pretty clear. Hell gives up the dead, which are in them. So all the unsaved dead. Number two, the fallen angels. It says the sea gives up those in it. That's the deep. That's where those creatures are playing and some of them bound in the deep, right? So the fallen angels are judged here. And the last three groups are just really more from deduction because where else did they get judged? But Old Testament saints, tribulation saints, and millennial saints. Because it says, death gives up the dead in it. You got me? So you know, down in the earth, there's two compartments, right? There's Abraham's bosom, and, and there's hell. Now the people, most of them, were, by this time, they're all gone, right? The saints are out. But if you die in the millennium, and you're just with God, where do you go? 
looks like they might go back to Abraham's bosom. And it says, death gave up the dead which were in them. Hell, and it makes a difference. It's not hell, it's death. So some people might be being held there that are being brought up for judgment. Again, I'm not, wouldn't preach that on Sunday morning, and if you disagree, that's okay. But everybody's got to get judged somewhere. You're getting judged at the judgment seat of Christ. But here it looks like you got the lost dead, you got the fallen angels, you got Old Testament saints, because they have to get judged, tribulation saints, they need to get judged, and millennial saints, because death is giving up the dead in it. Now go to Psalm 149. You will be there, but just not to be judged. You might be on the judiciary board, all right? Psalm 149. You know, when we went through the book of Psalms many, 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 many months ago, it talked about how Psalms is all about the kingdom and the millennium. And you get to the end of the book of Psalms, it would line up with getting to the end of the millennium. And at the end of the book of Psalms, there's a judgment. Look at Psalm 149, and look at verse 5. Psalm 149.5, Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. Uh-oh, and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute upon them the judgment written, this honor have all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. Mm, mm, mm. Looks like you play a part in the judgment. And you could, you know, hypothesize and speculate and try to see what that looks like, but it looks like that this is the heritage of God's saints, that you play some kind of role in this judgment. Look at 1 Corinthians 6. I'll show you another verse uh, that might connect to that a little bit. 1 Corinthians 6. There's so many verses we just blow through. Uh, like, oh, that's a nice devotional verse. What is that actually saying? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 6, 1. 1 Corinthians 6, 1. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? What's he talking about? He's talking about something. And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye not one worthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? When do the angels get judged? Revelation 20. When does the world get judged? Revelation 20. And we're a part of it. Somehow. How much more things pertain to this life? If you can judge before God then, why can't you judge before men now? That's what the Lord's kind of slipping in there in Corinthians. But uh, you'll be there, not to be judged, but to take part in the judgment. Next section of the Bible. I'm going to erase this so I have room up here. Just got two more quick ones, and then we'll be done. And then if anybody, we're going to move our stuff into the uh, auditorium, and I'll set up as much as I can for tomorrow. Um, So the next one is the new heavens and the new earth. All right, Revelation 21.1. Let's go to Revelation 21.1. Revelation 21.1. Let me show you your house. Revelation 21.1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. 
So all this Bible that we've looked at for the last few months, from Genesis 1-3 to Revelation 21, you know what it's just been? It's been a parenthesis in eternity. That's all it's been. It's been like a little, little notch thing, little notched out of eternity. And all the highs and lows of all time are just a blip, right? They're just a vapor, the Bible says, in light of forever. And we're getting ready for forever here. And, it's, and I, I said this when we started this whole unit on the Bible, these big ideas. What you do in this little parenthesis affects what happens in all of eternity. That's mind-blowing. Like, God's got eternity, right? As far as you can go this way, as far as you can go that way, an infinite number line in both directions, and God just scores out this little blip, this little 7,000 years of human history, this little thing called time, is a little parenthesis in eternity, and one day God's just going to take it out, and we're just going to go right into eternity, and what God's creatures do and His creation does in that little blip, that little vapor, determines all of eternity. Woo! <laughs> 2 Peter 3.13, we read about the fire coming down. That fire is going to renovate the universe and prepare it for eternity. He says, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So it's not like we got to worry again about another devil rising up and this thing just repeating. No, sin has been dealt with. Sin will have been dealt with. This new heavens and new earth, righteousness is going to dwell there. God's going to move into his plan. Now that sin has been dealt with and the people that want God have chosen God in every dispensation and the angels that want God have chosen God and the creatures that want God have chosen God, now we can move forward with God's original plan. Now we can step out into eternity. Gives me chills, right? So that's our last section. The last section is eternity. Right? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We just got a couple of verses left, then we'll be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I don't know how long I'm going to take, Chris, but I got just a few. 1 Corinthians 2. So, this little parenthesis called time has been a space to choose God by your own free will. For the angels, for you too. It's been a space to choose God by your own free will. And now the Lord is ready to move on with the people who love him, the people who chose him. From Moses to Isaiah to you sitting here today, you said, I want God. And God says, all right, now let's go. And 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things streets and cities and places and planets, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. So by the time we get to this place, the problem of sin will have been done, dealt with. The place will have been prepared. The people that remain want God and God wants them and the plan of God is about to unfold. This is jump. This is where we wanted to be in Genesis 1, and we got sidetracked, but this is where God wanted to begin, right? A kingdom. So the problem of sin is done. The place is prepared. The people want God. God wants these people, and the plan of God at this moment now is ready to unfold. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. Remember, we started our big ideas from the Bible with Isaiah chapter 9. And God had a purpose for the universe, God has a purpose for the earth, and God has a purpose from you, for you. And now you're moving into that purpose. 
that purpose is finally going to start to really be fully realized. Isaiah 9, verse 6. Consider all the events that happen in this verse leading to eternity. Watch it now. Ready? Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, colon, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, colon, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Watch it now. Those colons are important. It breaks that verse up into three chunks. Chunk number one, unto us a child is born. That's Jesus Christ that is first coming, right? Unto us a son is given, first coming. Colon, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, second coming. Jesus Christ at his first coming, child, son. Government, second coming. Now watch this. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. The Son and the Father are the same there? Because there's eternity. In eternity, Jesus Christ moves back into the Godhead, and God is all in all. Like, hold your place there and go to 1 Corinthians 15. I'll show you. 1 Corinthians 15. That's why there's no difference, the difference there between Father and Son when we move into eternity. That delineation is gone when we move into eternity. 1 Corinthians 15, 28. 1 Corinthians 15, 28. Hold your place in Isaiah. says... And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto the him that God, God, may be all in all. Right? The Father, the Son, the Spirit, the Godhead just goes back into themselves. They become just God. And um, it's pretty wild. I mean, I, the, me too, me too. But just you have to take it by faith, right? God is also, there's eternity, um, which, you know, I'm, I, I join this speculation because you're going to be the little Christs in eternity. You're going to be the mediators between God and men in eternity. So just think about that. Don't, don't repeat it. But that's, that's, what, that's what it looks like is going to happen, right? Because God, God did this all so he could deal with men, but then God just goes back to being God, and now he's got some people that can be those mediators to help rule in his kingdom, that's where we come in. That's amazing. That's like absolutely amazing, you know. And uh, go to Isaiah, to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. So the government of Jesus Christ that's established in the millennium seems to go out into eternity. Like that's an eternal day. That day of the Lord starts, and it just seems like it just goes out into eternity. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. <laughs> and the, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So there's no end to this government. It's a government with a king because it mentions there's a throne there. And it's from henceforth even forever. That's what the Lord is going to do. A kingdom that never ends. It just keeps expanding out. Expanding out. You say, how can it keep expanding? Well, when we come to eternity, we call, let's go to Revelation 22. We'll end on Revelation 22. Right? When we come to eternity, and this is just some good speculation. Again, there's things that you'll learn about the Bible that make for good teaching, 
but you'll never bring them to your Sunday school class. You're not going to hammer that on a Sunday morning. You know, I'm not talking about Cain and Abel being twins on a Sunday morning, uh, though I think they were. Right? But there's things in the Bible you're going to know, and then there's things in the Bible you're not going to you know, share in, 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 in big audiences. But uh, that's, that's, when we come to eternity, we come full circle in the Word of God. Think about it. It started in a perfect state in a garden. It ends in a garden in a perfect state. It started on the earth where a curse ruined everything. It ends on the earth where the curse is lifted and the earth is like that Garden of Eden again. And from this point, the Lord moves ahead with his plan. What was his original plan? If you remember this from months ago, to populate the universe with sinless beings who love him. Can you only imagine that? I know there's that song I can only imagine. You might like it. That's okay. You know, this is beyond like dancing, right? This is like, whoa. Like, can you imagine a universe full of sinless beings that only want to know and love this God, that have no sin nature anymore? My goodness. That's a hard one to wrap your brain around, right? Because I looked at myself in the mirror today, and I was like, oh, my goodness, this stupid mind, this stupid flesh, this stupid this, stupid world, and one day it's all going to be gone. And God's going to be, you know, we'll be, there'll be people bringing forth. You know? The Mormons had it a little bit right. <laughs> the Mormons had a little bit right, but they mess it up so much. But there's some truth in that lie. Most lies are just truth, like off kilter. You know, the Mormons think that, you know, you're becoming a god down here, and you're going to go out there and populate planets. Well, not 100% off. <laughs> just a little bit, just pretty much off, but not 100% off. So think with me for a second. What would happen, again, this is just, we're having fun here now, okay? Please don't go get a rock in the parking lot and bash my brains in before I jump in my Prius. All right, so, you got me, man? You got me? All right, because I can duck really good, all right? What would happen if Adam and Eve had not sinned? They would have just kept reproducing, right? Painless childbirth, painless... Imagine that, ladies, painless childbirth. You want to have another one? Sure, let's have another one, right? <laughs> Revelation twenty-two fourteen says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to eat of to, to the, right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. My goodness, what if Adam and Eve had eaten of the tree of life, not sin, had eaten of the tree of life, and everybody's just living forever and ever and ever, and they're having kids and they're having kids with painless childbirth, how long before the earth would have been overflowing? I mean, you do like a, you know, you do an exponential graph and map that out. It wouldn't take long if everybody was living forever and probably, probably about 30 years old forever. You know, imagine, like, imagine 33 years old forever and just people continuing to reproduce painless childbirth. It wouldn't be long before the earth would be busting at the seams. The Lord's plan is to populate the universe with sinless beings who love him. For this thing that starts on earth to go out into, I don't know, I don't know how much is out there. Nobody knows how much is out there, right? They get a better telescope, they say there's more out there. <laughs> they get a better scale telescope, they say there's more out there, right? I think back in the, maybe the 17 or 1800s, they said there's like 2,000 stars out there. <laughs> now there's like, they think, 10 trillion for every person on earth, right? It's just, it's a big, big universe out there. There's a lot of real estate out there. And you and I are going to help rule 
and reign in that kingdom that continues forever and ever and ever. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Not just time, but space. It's just going to keep going out and going out and going out. Do you see why the last prayer of the Bible needs to be the prayer of every child of God? 2220, he which testifieth these things saith, surely I come quickly. And John writes, amen. <laughs> Even so, come Lord Jesus. When you think of all the Lord has waiting, we too should be willing to say, Lord, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Because that movie, that vacation, that whoever, are not going to compare to what he has for them that love him. And that's eternity. So now that you know the whole Bible, you can go teach it to somebody else, right? So next month, Lord willing, if the Lord gives us the next month, we will start to break down. We laid out a framework. We'll try to break down what are some of the mysteries, some of the doctrines, some of the right divisions that you know, provide the furnishings in this house of this glorious book, of this glorious God called the Bible. Let's pray. Lord.